Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, by the way. And this is where two brothers uh, talk about comic books they've loved their whole lives. Uh, this season we're doing the Fantastic Four. Uh, I am one of the two brothers. My name is Will Hines. I'm the other of the brothers, and my name is Kevin Hines. And uh, we're both uh, comedians and performers at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theaters, plural, because I'm in the one in Los Angeles and Kevin's in the one in New York. That's right. Uh, we both teach and perform there, and uh, we also produce movies and <laughs> finance yeah. um, Hollywood uh just uh, kind of like passion projects mostly is what we focus on. We pull the strings behind the scenes. We control an enormous amount of money and influence. And we're behind a lot of sort of indie passion projects like That's right. uh, Endgame. Uh, yeah, little tiny things like that. And, uh, what was uh, another little? Will end- came up with the idea for Chris Pratt. Yeah, I just thought, what a fun guy. So we synthesized him and let him loose in the world, put him on Parks and Rec, and then told him to get into shape. And prepared him for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which was our yeah, ritual goal. That was a pretty good – that was one of our uh, – a pretty successful creation of yours. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, another – another. we also did Curtis Armstrong. We made the actor Curtis Armstrong in the 80s. Yeah. It was in Risky Business and Moonlighting and Revenge of the Nerds. He's one of our cre- – we were just teenagers when he, we put that together. And he did great. I mean, he didn't become sort of a, a icon the way we were expecting. So, you know, but we were kind of figuring things out. But his performances were great. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we do. Oddly uh, enough, Tom Cruise was uh, – we were trying to make Curtis Armstrong. We accidentally made Tom Cruise and sort of set him aside. And then before we noticed, he had made a few movies, some with Curtis Armstrong. So, yeah. Yep. It all worked so out. So even our accidents sometimes do very well. We're really good at running Hollywood. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and we also love comic books and we are brothers. And so this season... Yeah, we're not going to talk about Hollywood. our Hollywood stories. Well, there's too many Instead, things... we're going to just talk about some comic books we've read. Yeah, too many things are pending. We, you know, we, we don't want to talk about any deals until they're, they're really manifesting. It would just be unfair to set expectations like that. That's right, yeah. Like, I'm trying to do my adaptation of uh, Ambush Bug, and I'm, that's almost ready to happen in a, on a billion-dollar budget, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's about time that that character... Uh, it's a pretty easy character to adapt. It's crazy they haven't done it yet. It is my. We should do a season on the Ambush Book special. I think the six issue special that we both liked. And not sure. Special the um the miniseries. Yeah, we could do that plus the the nothing special that followed it. I think. Uh, it's so it's such a, it's short. We, it would be so. Uh, I mean, easy. there's only like twenty some issues of Ambush Bug in its entirety. Yeah, but if we focus on just the six, I think we'll get all the important. Okay, anyway, listen. Yeah, maybe we'll do all DC humor comics. I, I'm agreeing with you on that. Uh, we'll do Amazing Man. Uh. <laughs> um, so we're doing the Fantastic Four, uh, the original run by Stanley and Jack Kirby. They did 102 issues plus a bunch of annuals, and we're doing them sort of in big chunks. And with each chunk, we do one episode where we just sort of recap the plots, and then another episode where we like analyze, you know, stuff we didn't get to talk about in the recap. And uh, we are into the good stuff now. We, the issues we're doing today are very, very good. Yeah, this uh, focuses a lot on the Frightful Four and another Doom story. Yep. And uh, they're good. They're really good. Um, a lot of the goofiness and clunkiness, which I always found endearing, is sort of going away. And the stories are becoming very smooth and well-paced action stories. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. The first story we're going to cover is about Dragon Man, who's a ridiculous concept. But it's played more serious than... 
uh, the scrolls were earlier, I feel like. Yeah. And uh, and it's good. I mean, a lot of it is just in the execution that the drawings are getting. I mean, Kirby's drawings were always confident, but they're sort of getting like streamlined and smooth. They're figuring out how to do these FF stories. And it's like paying off with the I mean, these these issues are great to read. And um, you, you've said it before, Kevin, like I don't always remember these ones today because they're followed by like Galactus and the Black Panther and the Inhumans. Um, which, you know, I remember those well. These ones we're doing today, I don't remember as well, but I think they might be almost as good. Yeah, they're real close. Um, they're definitely only a step below, and it, it's it's weird when, like, so much story time is devoted to Paste Pot Pete, and you're like, ooh, this is good, but it is somehow. Um, yeah, so uh, it's, I'm excited. So um, I guess, I don't know, should we, should we get into this? Yeah. Uh, I oh, One other thing before we start, I think also maybe at this point it feels a little bit like uh, Stan and Jack are working better together. And I don't know if they've like worked out the kinks on how to get like a story like before this, there were a lot more moments. There still are a couple, but they are fewer and farther between where there's like moments where it seems like Stan is explaining something either yeah. he doesn't understand or that Kirby skipped. That's happening less and less. And I don't know if that's because Kirby is just handling more of the writing so that there's no confusion or if they're getting better at how they give each other notes. Yeah. Um, but they definitely are communicating this process pretty well by this point. The product is a lot uh, And I think that makes these stories better too. Yeah, there's just less like, where did the Fantastic Car go? And like, yeah. why is Reed in this panel and not in this one? Um, they they just kind of decided that suddenly they can fool Doctor Doom over not being able to fool him for the rest of the issue, and there's no real reason given or something. There's less of that happening. Yeah, it's that's getting smoother and smoother. So the writing is getting better, the art is getting better. We're past a George Bell, who I largely proclaim is my least favorite inker on this run. We're into Chickstone, who is good. We're about to do a little short span of Vince Coletta. Also in this episode, we'll talk about that. And then next episode, uh, Joe Sinnott takes over for the rest of the run, and he's great. I mean, I think he's universally agreed upon as the best inker that Kirby has in the Fantastic Four run, and so the art becomes extraordinary. I mean, I think even Stan Lee would agree with that, because I think he tried to get Joe Sinnott earlier on this book, but either couldn't afford him or that he was too busy or something like that, Yeah, and finally got him to start inking Kirby. And he inks Fantastic Four for forever. He inks other artists that follow Kirby and I think keeps sort of uh, the art style kind of really trucking along even long after I stopped reading. Uh, So Joe Sinnott, who does not ink any of the issues we talk about today, is basically the third member of the creative team. Um, Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And also in in this run of issues, um, they start doing a thing where the stories don't end at the end of the issue. Yeah. For like they they kind of run into each other like there'll be a, a handful of threads going and then if any of them resolve they resolve in the middle of the issue and then a new one will start. So the issues are always ending on cliffhangers and in the middle of stuff and I I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like they wrote these stories and then just sort of figured out where 22 pages ended them and then that's where the stories ended. Yeah. Uh, there was a short period where Peter David, a writer I enjoyed, was doing a comic called Young Justice, which is basically a Teen Titans-like comic book. And for a stretch in there, he was doing a little more mechanically, but he was doing a thing where he would wrap up storylines halfway through the issue and then start up the next one. 
And I remember reading the letters pages and people sort of freaking out about it. And he was like, <laughs> I just wanted to try it because that's how the Fantastic Four comics were. Yeah. And uh, that sort of made me notice it more when I would do my next reread. And I was like, oh, yeah, they do do that. Yeah. And I didn't love it in his comics. I wanted my stories to end. But I love it here. I love it here, too. So, so I don't know why that is. I mean, Jack Kirby's a genius. And he's one of the all-time biggest innovators in comics, certainly superhero comics. And so when he figures something out, he figures it out. Great. Okay. That's a good theory. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it is kind of true though. It's sort of like, why does, you know, how come when Kubrick does a certain type of shot, it's beautiful. And when somebody else does it, it seems, you know, forced in there. And I don't know, some people are good. <laughs> there you go. That's my, that's my, thanks for tuning in for that sort of analysis. <laughs> Will Hines, some people are good. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, I don't know. Just like, <laughs> um, okay. So critical, let's get, just like, uh, what do you think of that movie? I don't know. Some people make good movies. This guy's one of those people. It's <laughs> a good movie. I do think that's the most honest explanation you can give sometimes trying to explain stuff more than that sounds good but maybe you don't really know it's like i don't know this person is just good <laughs> sure i mean like movies like inglorious bastards should have been terrible yeah um it's like oh there's a super long monologue you don't really meet the bastards until halfway through the movie it changes history it's way too long and it's like ooh, i'm riveted yeah Quentin tarantino he's good uh is good at making stuff uh some actors have monologues where you like this should be insane this, you know, Meryl Streep will have some like crazy speech in Big Little Lies. You're like, this should be dumb. This should just be stand out as insane. And you watch it like, eh, it's good. She's just, she's good. <laughs> yeah. I just watched uh, the Mission Impossible, the last two Mission Impossible movies. Yeah. And Tom Cruise is so good in those. I mean, they're just action movies, but he delivers sort of. He's great. Kind of dumb moments. And he s sells them so well that I'm just like, oh, this guy should be a star. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's good at being a movie star. Yeah. I, I think I find him also quite funny in those movies at at good times. Like he's he's able to sort of have moments where he loses, so that when he wins later, it's more satisfying. And he's I, he's good at really that. funny in these movies. I mean, in in, in action movie sense, like right, like yeah. sort of in the, in a funny like Indiana Jones is funny. Yeah, where it's like oh, the character isn't funny, the movie isn't funny, but there's moments where because of the ridiculousness of it, you're laughing when he grabs onto the plane. It says, "Open the door," and like. Like the back of the plane opens up and he's like wrong door, like as the plane is like taking off and he can't yeah. get inside. It's really funny. Um. Anyway, I I recommend the Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> um. Yeah, a little indie film that not a lot of people know about. Um. Let's do this. Well, let's start talking about the issues. All right. So we're gonna we start got with ten issues to cover. We're covering issue thirty-five to. Uh, I just had it open and I closed it. Thirty-five to forty-three plus the third annual. In two weeks, we're going to cover. I think issues forty-four to fifty, and that's ooh, that's really good. So definitely read those if you're reading along with us. Don't skip those. Yeah, I say don't skip these. These are the ones. Don't that skip you, these. Either. You maybe yeah. not have heard about, but these are really great. Like um, yeah, thirty-five to uh, fifty-three. Sort of, I think don't miss. Issues, and that's a lot, you know, but it's that's only like 20 issues, so you can do it. People. If, you're, if you're a comic book reader, you can handle that. Okay, so <clears> let's start with issue 35. This is Calamity on Campus, Dragon Man. Yeah, kind of a ridicu ridiculous concept. I love this cover. I, I don't want to talk about every single panel and every single cover. This cover is beautiful. Uh, I mean, it's one of the things that saves the FF, even when the stories are kind of wonky and stuff, is Kirby just knows how to draw a compelling comic book panel 
you know, the composition's good, the action's good, the it's dynamic and fun and entertaining. And this is a good one. We see Dragon Man flying over campus, breathing flame, and all four FF are engaged in battle, and students are running everywhere. It's rad. Yeah, it looks really cool, and Stanley's got it covered with some nuff seds and some wows, and have we got a treat for you? Yeah. It's all sort of what works for me. The Stanley sales hype machine is in full gear here. Calamity on the campus, and then another box. Nuff said, and then another box. Have we got a treat for you? And then another. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's great. Uh, when we go into this issue, Chick Stone is still inking at this point. So you hate uh, it. and it's a, I like Chick Stone. Oh, I hated George Bell. I right, hated right. George my, Bell. My Chick apologies. Stone kind of draws softer characters. It almost feels like uh, the animated Hanna-Barbera cartoon a little bit, like the lines are a little thicker and a little simpler, but he pulls it off in a way that isn't bad. It's not awesome. It's not as powerful as the later stuff, but it's good and clean and it's not goofy. Yeah. So I like it. Um, there's a million characters in this. This this opens with the FF going to a campus and meeting a professor who's being told to not conduct his personal experiments. And I love his response. I'm a biologist specializing in superpowered humans. I'm constructing a creature more powerful than anything that lives, including the Fantastic Four, for the purpose of research and analysis. Like as the FF or he's basically saying, I'm creating a supervillain. Yeah. Uh, it's also fun going to a college gives them another chance to sort of run by and uh, see other teenage Marvel characters. The X-Men uh, kind of have a little cameo here, or at least Professor X and Cyclops is here. Yep. Um, <clears throat> feels like the kind of setting where you'd run into Peter Parker somehow, but that doesn't you happen. You do run into Peter Parker, yes. Oh, great. I forgot. Uh, also- uh, I forget where. It's either this issue or maybe the beginning of the next issue, but he does make a short little cameo. I think he's checking out the campus to see if he wants to attend. Um, now, just because Jack Kirby's not happy with just one villain, the, the professor and his soon-to-be-created Dragon Man are not enough. And so the alchemist Diablo escapes from his trap, and now he, we're going to have to reckon with him also. Yes, and Diablo uh, – oh, somebody pointed this out to me. Uh, we're, we're not doing mail today, but someone wrote an, uh, a letter to me saying – we mentioned on the Diablo – episode where Diablo felt like he should have been a vampire because he was in Transylvania and it felt yeah. like he was, all the trappings were vampires. Yeah, and he's like been the living comics for code, many generations. The comics code, I think, prohibited vampires other than Dracula. Oh, weird. Because he was like a piece of literature. So maybe that was just they couldn't. The comics code was so dumb. I hate it. Um, anyway, yeah, Diablo blows himself out of the volcano or castle he was trapped in or something. So we're going to have to deal with him at some time soon anyway. Oh, here's Peter Parker. Yes, Peter Parker shows up on page six just for a couple panels. Uh, uh, Johnny Storm met him way back in Spider-Man 21 uh, because Dory uh, took a shine to him. Dory is being Johnny Storm's girlfriend that I think has never been mentioned in Fantastic Four before. Yeah, so she kind of liked Peter Parker and they got into like a fight that Jack Kirby drew in the Spider-Man issues. So we're seeing him here. It's funny to see other people draw Steve Ditko characters because Ditko's got always got that unique, crazy hairstyle going and like just weird facial features. So to see Kirby draw Peter Parker is kind of fun. 
Yeah, he gives Peter Parker uh, an even more severe, I think, flat head. I mean, he looks like than, the leader. He looks like a gamma ray affected head here. He he looks a freak. He looks like a freak. Yeah. And uh, I, I sort of dig it because, you know, Peter Parker shouldn't be too. I, Peter Parker has gotten too handsome yep. by the time John Romita takes over. And definitely in even current comics, you see him. It's like, this guy's a hunk. So it's good for uh, Kirby just to re- relegate him to total freakishness. Yeah. We're talking 1940s sideshow level of uh, deformity. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, Peter's here checking out the college, but uh, he's not going to attend here. He goes to his own college later on. Uh, the FF have a little side thing where they play football with the team. Ben Grimm, of course, in his human form was a football star. And now that he's a rock elemental, he's even better. But the but Sue Storm and Reed Richards join in also. Yeah, just like just like a little fun. Uh, superheroes playing sports is always sort of a fun thing. Uh, and Sue's getting to use her force fields. Uh, Sue's so much more fun now. Yep. Uh, then Diablo shows up pretty quickly. Uh, he's kind of incognito. He's got a hat pulled down over his eye. Uh, he's driving. Seeing supernatural people driving is always funny to me. Yeah. I mean, I guess he came here from Transylvania, got a driver's license, rented a car, and now is tooling around town. And this guy's been around for centuries, but he's he's ready for cars. It doesn't throw him at all. Uh, yeah, supernatural people driving cars is just sort of like, I don't know, they, they look kind of undermined and sort of just like reduced to a mundane activity. Yeah, but this is also a nice sequence that Sue takes as a little proactive as a superhero. She follows him around invisible to see what he's up to. Yeah, we get a little Sue subterfuge. That's fun. Uh, Diablo Diablo finds the evil scientist somehow and teams up with him and gives him an ingredient which helps him bring the guy to life. Yeah, brings Dragon Man, his sort of artificial life form, to life. Uh, the FF are just here sort of, I guess, getting honorary degrees or something or just making speeches. I don't know. I think Reed's here just to make a speech and to check things out. Uh, but then Dragon Man comes to life and attacks the thing. Uh, yeah, we get into it. So um, we start getting into fights. So Dragon Man, who is a dragon-ish slash humanoid creature, has been brought to life. He's got the powers of a dragon, plus he's just sort of strong and just seems sort of instantly hell-bent on beating the crap out of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, that's probably Diablo's doing. Um, this is a great little sequence where the thing is fighting him and the thing gets like tossed out a window. Uh, Kirby's comedy uh, didn't always hit me as well as um, Ditko's, but that's a funny panel, the very bottom of page 11 where he's getting thrown out a window going, for this I had to come to college? Yeah, that's sort of like, you know, 40s comedy kind of like, get a load of this, get a boy, uh, that and 50 cents will get me a cup of coffee or whatever. Yeah. Always is funny when Ben Grimm says that stuff. Yeah. Um. Uh, there's a, yeah, Dragon Man wreaks havoc and the FF have to attack. And, uh, you know, he's got fire, so that's the torch. He can fly, so that's something to contend with. He's strong. Does he have anything that, like, goes with the Invisible Girl? I guess not really, but she has to use her fields to try to contain him. Uh, Sue's a a big part of this battle in a way that she hasn't been much in the past. So she ties up his wings to make him crash. She also soothes him because it's sort of a King Kong-like moment here where Sue sort of calms him down. Kindness is what defeats him, not brute force. Yeah. Then they Uh, get by a... Then they get hit by a Diablo potion. (laughs) Uh, Kirby's always kind of good at like being like, okay, who's the villain? Who are my heroes? What visual things can I create that I haven't done before? You know, how can they use their powers in a way that I haven't seen before? You know, so it'll be like, you know, Diablo's potion is this cool green mist. And then 
uh, Johnny has to like use his flames to disperse the mist. And we maybe haven't seen that exact thing before. Sue will use her force fields like almost a lasso to like try to contain Dragon Man while he's flying. Like, I don't know. Kirby seems to always challenge himself to be like, what's a new way I can use their powers or something? Yeah. Um, just skipping to the end of this issue. It ends with um, Reed and Sue getting engaged, but it's sort of undersold enough that even when I was rereading it, I wrote in my notes, did they get engaged? Well, we don't really see him propose. They're kind of just, they go for a walk on Lover's Lane after the battle's over, and they're just sort of telling each other that they are the one for each other. But there's not like yeah. a drop to the knees, right. pull out the ring moment. So There was a few issues ago where Reed had gotten a ring, but he didn't propose with it. Uh, but here, yeah, he says, according to tradition, any couple who holds hands and kiss while standing before it will marry within a year. And Sue says, I've been waiting for you to take my hand. And that's basically about as far as it gets. Yeah. Um, this is like one of those things where because we were not alive in the 60s reading these comics as they came out, I just I want to know how unique was it to have a romantic relationship in your superhero comics at all? We've talked about how Sue is a completely yeah. underdeveloped character, but like, it's just simply the existence of two people saying we're going to get married and they do. Is that revolutionary? I mean, it seems kind of progressive. I and it must have been. Because I, 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 I mean, just looking at DC characters, they all had girlfriends, but they none of them had wives at this point, right? It's, and know. also the relationships were always seemed frozen, you know, like Clark was always dating low. I mean, this did change eventually, but at the time of the 60s, Clark and Lois date, but they just remain boyfriend, girlfriend for decades, you know, like the, nothing I mean, advances. Barry Allen does get married to Iris, but I don't know when that happened. So um, I'm, I'm pretty I'm relatively positive it had not not happened yet or come close to that yet. Let's go on to issue 36. Yeah, let's do it. And this issue confirms on the first page that they're engaged because the news is there to they're, talk about it. Right. These are celebrities. So them getting engaged is a news story. So there's tons of reporters crushing Reed and Sue while they're smiling with their arms around each other and posing. It's, uh, you know, it's like one of the Kennedys is getting engaged or something like yeah. that. Yeah. The thing is like made himself into a human wall to block off all the cameramen. Uh, yeah, and he's uh, insisting to them, hey, hold it, guys. Where are you running to? I ain't tired. Don't you want pinup pictures of lovable me? Yeah, yeah. This is under uh, like running gag of the thing with thinking he should be the one they want to take photos of and they never seem to want to. Though you think they would. He's an amazing looking I mean, creature. He's a phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's funny how normalized he's become, you know, he was this grumbling, angry monster for so many issues. And now he's like, uh, one of the guys jokester yeah. at all times. Uh, there's a prank from the Yancey street gang, right? Yes, that's right. But it's a nice prank. It's just roses. Uh, it explodes <laughs> into roses for the uh, engaged couple. <laughs> so the Yancey street gang has class. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're good folks. Uh, this issue introduces uh, sort of an evil team to match up against the Fantastic Four called the Frightful Four. Right. Who it's should be the up, dumbest team in history. Yeah, they're made up of sort of two lame Human Torch villains, a cool Spider-Man villain, but not an FF villain, and then a brand new character who has the power of movable hair. <laughs> And that doesn't seem it doesn't sound great. great. <laughs> no. So the it, first character we meet is Paste Pot Pete. Yeah. Whose power is like to shoot glue at the human torch. Yeah. He's pretty famously the dumbest named villain of any significance in the I mean, he's frequently brought up as like the dumbest named villain. Like he's your go to yes. your go to joke is Paste Pot yeah. Pete. 
in a few issues, he's going to change his name, but it, uh, it's too late. I think the damage has been done to this character. Yeah, he changes his name to the Trapster, but he'll be forever known as Paste Pop Pete. Uh, he becomes Trapster, but then he keeps talking about his paste traps. <laughs> <laughs> They're still like, paste-oriented. Yeah. Uh, we got the wizard. He's a torch villain. Yep, that's right. I, and I guess he's the wingless wizard sometimes he's called. He mostly just fl- he has anti-gravity discs, seems to be his big thing. He can fly. And he's smart, but he's like nowhere near Reed smart or even Doom smart. Uh, so I don't quite get him. Reed and Doom are the Ivies. This is state school smart guy. And then right, uh, right. and uh, he can fly in a world where like everybody can fly. But somehow right. somehow we're scared of this dude. And then you've got the Sandman, who is quite a powerful villain from the Spider-Man comics. Um, yeah, and he can then- turn into sand, can turn into rock. Uh and has a cool look. I mean, I still love this old Ditko look, even though it's just a striped T-shirt. He just looks awesome. He just looks kind of like a thug, right? He looks like a like yeah. a tough guy who works in the docks or something, but he can turn into sand. And at this point, he's no longer going to be in the Spider-Man comics for a long time. He sort of becomes an FF villain for a while. Yeah, I wonder Kirby why. Kirby sort of redesigns him a little bit and makes some changes to him as this storyline goes on. Weird. But yeah, I don't know why. I don't know how they made that. I think maybe they're just like... He's a cool villain to fight the uh, FF because he his sand can put out the torch and he's strong like the thing. So he sort of has good power sets to match up against the FF. I wonder how Ditko felt about it. Like his character kind of got taken sort of. Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully it didn't make him quit. <laughs> Hopefully he'll stay with the Marvel comics for a long, long time. Uh, but yeah, so uh, this story starts with Paste Pot Pete and the Sandman and the Wizard kind of all meeting up and forming a team. And they uh, need one more. They need one more. So they get Medusa, uh, the uh, female character, which there are a shortage of in the Marvel Universe at this time and for a long time. And Medusa's ability is she has really long hair that she can control, and it's really strong. So she's got strong, long, movable hair. Yes, that's right. Now, that's a dumb power. That's a very dumb power. But I will say that it does look fun, and I like that Jack Kirby – makes just weird powers. I kind of like that they don't make sense because they're more they're less cliche. It's not just another strong person in a cape and a cowl. It's like my hair moves. <laughs> yeah. I I really do like Medusa, but there's nothing about her that should work. On paper, she works it's better not a good plan. When we later meet the Inhumans, which she becomes part of, uh she works better in that world than as a supervillain. Uh, it's also sort of sad that this is like a team of pre-established villains sort of teaming up, but they didn't have a female. Right. But they're just like, oh, we don't have enough. Like they have like the Enchantress probably in Thor at this point. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, Black Widow might exist against Iron Man. I think she was an Iron Man villain at first. But There's just no female characters in the Marvel Universe. So they created yeah. a new one, Medusa, um, who they'll end up giving a lot more personality and story to than they ever do to Sue Storm. Yeah. Um, okay, anyway, so we've got the Fightful Four should be dumb, but this launches a sort of like long, almost the rest of the issues we're going to cover today starts with this issue, and it's really That's fun. Right. Yeah. Um, so they attack the FF, and it's one of these things where there's four villains, four F, four of the Fantastic Four, and they kind yeah. of like are this one is on the one against each other. Of, this is the equivalent of like the Injustice League. Um, you know, just sort of like, this is the opposite number. Yeah. So they go, they invade the Baxter building and we have a sort of good, but sort of standard fight. And then at some point they all get launched into space somehow. Is that the wizard's discs that do that? 
Um, let me skim ahead and see. Uh, I assume it's got to be his discs because that's his big thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the thing is covered in anti-gravity discs, it looks like. Or they all are. Yes, they yeah. all have them on their backs. So they get kind of... Everyone but the, everyone but the torch. And so they're brought way up above the atmosphere and uh, looks kind of cool. Like they're just sort of floating above the planet, like out of nowhere and having a battle with the Frightful Four. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, there's also a thing that goes on throughout these stories. I don't know how much it happens in this issue where the FF keep commenting on how powerful the Frightful Four are and how they can barely handle their powers. They're, they're almost trying to convince the readers. They're like, this is a real threat. Stanley uh, wasn't above doing that. Like, if he couldn't prove something, but he wanted it to be true, the characters just told you it was true. It's like, without Reed's planning, we never would have figured this out. And you're watching, you're like, what was the plan? Punch the guy in the face? Um, or in, So this is like, the Frightful Four is so powerful, they keep reminding us, even though we're reading it being like, I don't know, you got Sandman and a bunch of weird stuff. I mean, in their defense, they did defeat the FF in their first time attacking them also this is the first time i think that sue uses her force fields as an offensive weapon on page 12 she throws force field balls at the heads of uh the wizard and paste pot oh that's fun yeah that's a really great evolution of her powers really important i don't know how to address this in a non i like that sue has a new hairstyle and even though i know that she's relegated to just being like the woman i love when kirby changes her look i think that's cool and that's something john Byrne would do a lot when he would do the ff in the 80s she's got she's got new hair yeah she gets a new hairstyle every now and then i like Uh, sometimes it's a plot point where she's mad at the team for not noticing so i'm glad you noticed well it'll keep her from being mad at you (laughs) um yeah this story ends with uh the um sue sort of beating the uh the frightful four. She kind of grabs the uh, paste gun and glues up Medusa's hair, um, and then uh, they kind of they're the frightful four are sort of uh, routed. So they sort of take off and run, sort of set up a big explosion and use that to run off. It's kind of a stalemate. Sort of a stalemate. It ends with Reed saying um, that you know they're going to come back for us. They're going to want revenge. And Sue's saying they're so powerful, so thoroughly evil. I'm frightened. Right. Um, and so once it like we're just being told that this is a bad this is a bad team. Watch out. Um, OK, so the next issue, 37, it's a scrolls issue. Yes. Um, this this is where things really start to get fun in the Fantastic Four, because now Kirby has created all these characters. Some of them were born sort of silly. Some of them were born in good stories. But now he's starting to use them all like chess pieces in a fun way. Like we know the Skrulls. We're familiar with them and their powers. We're starting to learn their civilization. So when we see them again, the Skrulls are starting to look less silly and more like a true, I don't know, it's like becoming like a Star Trek episode where you're like, well, we know the Klingons, we know the Romulans. Yeah. Uh, there's a mythology that's being kind of leveraged, and I dig it. I, Some dig of this it. might be Stanley too. I know he's not behind like, hey, it's been a while since we've seen the Skrulls. Let's bring them back. Yep. Let's, um, it, I can totally see Stan doing that. I think he had good taste for like which characters to bring back and also good taste for tempo of being like, oh, it's been a while. It's been long enough. Let's see this character again, or let's not do this character again. We've done that too much like that recently. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we've talked a lot about how Stan gets overcredited as the writer of these stories when he wasn't really doing the plots and often wasn't coming up with the characters. But he certainly was one of the great comic book editors of all time. Like, yeah, 
picking what stories to do, which artists and inkers to team up, what characters to give attention to. He which had an, books uh, to put his best people on. He just had incredible taste. He he is the architect of the Marvel Universe, if not you know, he's not really the writer, but he is the he's the editor. He's the Barry Gordy, not the Smokey Robinson. Like, imagine if you focused on Doctor Strange and Iron Man at this point right. instead of the FF and Spider-Man. That's right. Uh, okay, you, can't so, build, you can't build a superhero universe around something like Iron Man. Is no, what Iron Man will never be a tentpole character in the Marvel Universe. I say that right. 100% sure. Great. Uh, this story starts with Reed accidentally shooting Human Torch with a science <laughs> experiment. <laughs> Seems like the smartest man in the universe uh, should know better than just to be firing around uh, superpower altering weapons willy nilly. But um, he's he's not above it. No. Nope. And he shoots the human torch, which makes the human torch's powers kind of go out of control for a little bit. Uh, but we quickly cut to a very handsome scroll. This is like the best looking scroll I've ever seen. Oh, man, he is. I'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm attracted to this scroll. I'm, I'm attracted not to, to him. It. He has a uh, wife or a, a partner who's also attractive. He's got to be like these are like the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie of the scroll world. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, the one scroll has a mustache They're, They don't have like the weird bug eyes. I mean, it's weird. Like at the end of this issue, I think we see the other scrolls again. He doesn't look anything like them. So it's not like they forgot what scrolls look like. Yeah. They just decided to make this one. This is like they cast a really good looking actor. And he's like, I don't want to put on all that makeup. Um. So but this is an evil dude, right? He's a bad guy. Yes. Scroll. That's right. He's like into conquering stuff and all that things. Uh, yes. Meanwhile, the FF are going into subspace. And Kevin, what is that? I think subspace might be the negative zone yeah how is it different we got the negative zone we got subspace we got the microverse and i'm not a hundred percent sure of the differences well i think subspace is the negative zone and it gets renamed okay it's uh, not the microverse it's some alternate dimension and yeah. so when they journey into it which they just kind of do because it's fun um uh, jack kirby uses like a photo background like a photo collage of uh, subspace, you know, of real space to represent subspace, or you know, Kirby mocks up some kind of cult, you know, real oh, photograph. I'm wrong. I'm thinking of something else. Subspace seems to be some sort of in between dimension, so that they can travel to the scrolls. Okay, so this is like allowing this them to do else, yeah. intergalactic travel, like a tesseract or something, like where they're yes. Okay, um, well, whatever. It's like one of the many times where the FF just kind of go to another universe, which is something they do like all the time. It's pretty shortly after this we do they do start talking about uh, something else I don't know what they call it but it, which ends up being the negative zone. Uh, so there's this photo collage image of subspace and there's yes. got a Stan Lee caption which I really love and I'm going to read it now. Oh, it's a, so great. A personal note for those of you who might claim our tale is too far fetched, we offer in evidence this photo taken by remote control via a special camera ejected from the ship at that precise microsecond. Unfortunately, the quality of the picture is a trifle hazy due to the fact that no film made on Earth is specifically intended for use in the murky scroll atmosphere. Yeah, uh, so, so it is claiming that this page is a photograph. And also that the FF are real and they took the picture. I mean, that's been firmly established. The FF have met up with Kirby and Lee and told them their stories. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. I think it's such a fun caption. It is so weird. It's so ridiculous. And I don't I don't love it, but I am willing to accept it in these old stories. And why, why are they going to the Skrull universe? Do they get threatened by or something? Or do they know that there's a bad guy there? Or are they just attracted to this couple and want to be friends with them. 
Um, oh, yeah. Well, they're going to the Skrulls because they want to bring Dr. Storm's murderer to justice. One of Sue's. Oh, right. Um, like, well, I don't know. If you're going to marry me, Reed, first thing you have to do is kill the guy who killed my dad. And he's like, you got it. And they're on it immediately. Yeah. Um, okay, so we get to the Skrull world. There's sort of like humanoid plants running around. Um, yes, lots of cool little creatures. Which is Kirby's specialty. He's like, oh, I'll, I'll design a million little species and just, just litter the background with them and we'll never go back to them. Yeah. Yeah, we don't, they're not part of the story. They're just there. We'll let some artists in the 80s, 90s, or 2000s turn this into a 12-issue miniseries, but it's one panel in my, in my story. Um, yeah, we, we're on Skrull Planet, so we see lots of cool science fiction uh, gadgets and stuff. And uh, this evil, handsome Skrull dude, and I forget what his plan is. It's like to impress the Skrull leader so that he can marry this beautiful Skrull woman or something like that. But he's sort of mean to her, too, so I'm not 100% sure. I think he just wants to be in charge. It's Morat and Anel. Morat is the handsome Skrull man, and Anel is the Skrull woman. They seem to be in love, but he seems like he can't marry her until he's, like, made his bones by, like, attacking a lot of stuff. He's also kind of mean to her, but I, I don't know. Is he meaner than Reed is to Sue later on? I, I don't know. It's just the way the relationships go in the Marvel Universe at this time. Uh, so the FF have a battle against the Skrulls. They discover the Warlord and his plan. We see a lot of the Skrull world. It looks rad. Um, the FF get attacked by the Skrulls, and they're all going nuts. It's a really good yeah. battle. The Skrulls also have also taken away the FF's uh, powers. Like, not not quite, because the thing still is covering rocks, but he's no, no longer super strong. He's, like, weak or whatever. Yeah, and Human Torch can't. Yeah, their powers are all super diminished. Like, he's still rocky, but he's not that strong. The Human Torch can barely get a flicker going. Um, how does it resolve? It's one of these things where they just stop fighting at some point. Well, what happens is, um, so the uh, so the Skrulls have captured the, or the, the handsome Skrull has captured the Fantastic Four, and he wants, um, he makes a, uh, but what is it, like, uh, read offers them a weapon in exchange to let him go. And the weapon he offers them is the gun from the splash page. And he, and he uh, tests it by shooting the thing, which gives the things his powers back. That's right. Um, so then the FF win. Yeah. The, the FF get their powers back. And once they have their powers back, they make short work of the scrolls. And the King of the scrolls doesn't like the warlord because he's evil. Yes. The king and intervenes also, basically and is like, hey, I'm on the FF side on this one. Yeah. And the warlord's also the guy who booby trapped Sue's dad so that he died. The The king of the scrolls is sort of revealed as sort of like, oh, I don't really hate you guys. Like we fought. You guys won. You know, that that's done. What's done is done. You he's on, he's honorable. We made a deal at the end of that issue that you beat me and that I would give you your dad back. And I did. But this other guy booby trapped it. Now that I know he lied to me about that. Um, you know, I'm pissed at him and uh, we'll take care of him. And so the FF are like, good enough for us. And they go back through subspace and back to the Baxter building. Yes. And they have a wedding rehearsal. Yeah. They do a wedding rehearsal and thing cries. I love that. The thing cries. That's very softy. Right. And then we get right back into the frightful four. So we've only had one issue away, but the frightful four are right back into it. So they're back for issue 38. Yep, and uh, so we see them all planning, and they're demonstrating their powers while they plan for no reason. Medusa gets into the Baxter building somehow, posing as, like, fashion photographer or clothing designer or something. Uh, I'm on page yeah, how do, seven. 
Yeah, you jumped ahead. Uh, yeah, she just disguised herself, I guess, to help Sue design a wedding dress or something like that. Right. Uh, um, but but then she uses her hair to um, <laughs> tie up Sue. <laughs> and then the frightful four are really in it, and they're uh, they're all they've kidnapped Sue. They've kidnapped Sue, which is a classic way to start these stories off. Uh, Sue gets kidnapped. The rest of the FF jump into action. Yep, they chase after the Frightful Four. And, you know, they're scared because it's the Frightful Four, their greatest enemies ever now. Um, we get into, like, a little battle. The, uh, the Frightful Four are very good at neutralizing the FF's powers. They yes. kidnap them, take them to, like, a remote location. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, it's it's it's... One of the more interesting things, because instead of like little, lots of different traps and stuff, you know, there's different characters are taking them down. Like the Sandman sort of smothers the torch. Um, Pacebot Pete then ties him up. Like there is, even though these powers are sort of lame, it is fun to watch these characters kind of use their powers together in ways to defeat these uh, heroes. Uh, it is the execution. Like Kirby's just the panels of everybody using their powers. Everything just looks kind of fun, you know? Like it sounds dumb, but a paste gun and movable hair against a rock creature and a woman who's making invisible force bubbles. It looks rad. <laughs> yeah. There's even this cool moment, and I'm jumping way ahead now. I guess we're jumping around a lot, uh, where Sue, who's been tied up with her paste, with paste bracelets or whatever, paste handcuffs, puts her force field and slides it between her wrists and then expands it to break the paste. It's like, again, another like inventive way to use these force fields. It's amazing. She didn't have them before. Um, so then it looks like what the frightful four escape or the FF the frightful four escape again, but like set their uh, base to explode or wherever they were to explode, uh, launching the FF into the ocean where they're sort of just floating away on a force field bubble and it looks like the thing is be- turned back into Ben Grimm on top of everything else. As the issue's ending. So it's like they maybe he's been depowered or maybe they all have, but they're adrift in the ocean being kept alive only by Sue's force bubble. Yeah. Um, this is the issue, by the way, where the Pacebot Pete is now officially the trapster. Right. So I'm gonna call no longer Pacebot does he have Pete a silly name. He's something super scary like the trapster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he picked like he picked like the second worst name like he's gone up yeah, half a right. notch um but this is a pretty good issue i know we skimmed through it a lot but the action's really fun these these villains have sort of come into their own uh, medusa's costume was kind of tweaked a little bit and she looks cooler now um though there is moments uh, of uh, i guess not quite yet medusa hasn't quite shown that she isn't all evil yet there's that's gonna happen soon but yeah we, we this ends on a cliffhanger with with the ff uh, floating in the ocean, basically, perhaps to die. Um, next issue. Well, I say this is a good spot to take a cliffhanger break. Oh, yeah. For let's an advertisement it. or whatever. Um, let's take a break and we'll be right back. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about or the format of the show or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. 
And we are back. Welcome hope you enjoyed back, your break. Uh, people. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to get right back into it. This is a Doom issue. Daredevil shows up, um, and it takes off right from where we left off in the previous issue with the FF sort of adrift at sea. We see him being rescued by the Navy. They know who the FF are. The FF are uh, in bad shape. Yeah, they're sort of really beaten up, and they've all lost their powers. I'm not quite sure why they lost their powers, but something about that explosion uh, pulled the cosmic rays out of them. It's really, and they don't have them for a while now. Yeah, this is not a short-lived, like, oh, we'll have our powers back in two pages. They also lost their powers fighting the Skrulls. They've struggled with their powers recently. But yeah, they're powerless. They're with the Navy. They don't quite know what to do. And the Frightful Four are still out there. Right. So back at the Baxter building, Reed um, constructs sort of gadgets to help them simulate their powers. Yeah, it's so cool because he knows villains will still attack them. So they need to be able to fight back. And so like the human torch kind of wears a suit to let him ignite. That looks super cool. I love it. The thing gets a remote control thing robot. Um, does Sue have some kind of device that lets her? Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's like a, a, it's uh, like a blur suit. Yeah, that's right. Uh, which I is, she just does not get her force field power back, but she can still sort of be invisible ish. Oh, it can do it, but it's it's hard. Like, yeah, none of these powers work that great. Like, Ben is trying to control his robot. It doesn't go that far. Johnny can barely fly as the Human Torch, and it runs out of flames. Sue can turn invisible, but she can't quite get the force fields to work. Uh, and they're all just sort of like, oh, and this stinks. Looks like Reed doesn't even try to simulate his stretching powers. He's just like, eh, being the smartest person on Earth is enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then we cut away to Doctor Doom. Yep. Who last we knew was hypnotized and thinking he had defeated the Fantastic Four. Um, and he's back in his kingdom. And there's another hypnotist who's there's a I say another because the FF is rife with hypnotists yeah. uh, as a series. Um, so the hypnotist is going to demonstrate his ability to doom to try to impress doom, maybe to get a favor or something. But in demonstrating it, he wakes doom out of the spell that we had last seen him in. Right. The, and, this hypnotist accidentally wakes Doom up and Doom realizes he was not defeated by the Fantastic Four. He was tricked into thinking it. So he thanks the hypnotist by beating the crap out of him. He's uh, so mad that things didn't go his way. He just beats up the man in front of him for no reason. Gets into a very cool spaceship and flies to New York. Jack Kirby spaceships, they don't look to me to be architecturally or aerodynamically sound, but they look awesome. Yes. This one is uh, one of the most least... Uh, uh, believable that it can fly. It's called a gyroscopic <laughs> ship or something like that. It looks like a uh, colander. Which must uh, mean it's like spinning around or something. I don't quite know how it works, but it looks real cool. Yeah. Uh, when we get to page 10, we see that Reed has built himself sort of extendo arms so that he can pour test tubes further away from his body. <laughs> right, right. Um, also, Daredevil's in the mix now. They've invited Matt Murdock over because they need a lawyer. Um, right, so they don't need Daredevil, they need Matt Murdock. They need somebody with the power of attorney. Um, and they get attacked or something? Yes. Uh, something explodes. They don't know what it is. So Matt Murdock slips off and to become Daredevil and sort of saves the FF because the FF are sort of bumbling around with their powers. Like Reed's suit gets destroyed. Johnny can't stay aflame. Things robot gets smashed. <laughs> it, like, it goes bad fast. Oh, we find out and it's it doom. And we find out it's Doom. Doom landed on the Baxter building, kind of took over, and is like sitting in the window shooting bullets at them. 
Uh, he puts a message into the sky. The Fantastic Four shall now die by the hand of Doctor Doom. I love how many times in Marvel Universe people put messages in the sky. Yeah. Uh, but this is sort of crazy. Like, there's no explanation of how Doom did this. Like, the FF are off in their warehouse hanging out with their lawyer, you know, testing their new powers. And Doom just, like, walks into the Baxter building and took it over, like, in no time. <laughs> I guess he's getting good. Yeah. I, I actually like this Doom story. I mean, that's sort of like shorthand for just like, yeah, he's in there. And he's like sitting in the window shooting explosions at them, fires the fantastic car at them because he's got all the FF's gadgets now. And the FF have no powers, though they do have Daredevil. Um, so the Fantastic Four is attacking. Uh, I'm sorry, the Fantastic Car. Yes. Which Doom is controlling by remote control attacks the Fantastic Four. That's right. But Daredevil and, helps save them. And Daredevil just keeps saving them. Like, the FF don't do a ton. I mean, there are moments where, like, Reed is telling people to dodge, and they dodge, uh, which is great. But mostly it's, like, Daredevil grabbing them and pulling them out of harm's way. I forget what happens in this issue. So Doom seems to be really having his way with things here. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's no question. This this issue, oh, Doom, he, is, he is a route. He wins yeah. in this issue. And, and so the FF go, they split up so that they're harder to find... Um, they're slowly, the FF are slowly trying to get back to the Baxter building, um, and Daredevil as well. Daredevil is, excuse me, Daredevil is also there trying to distract Doom, I think. He's like taking Doom, the brunt of Doom's attacks because he has his superpower of being blind, uh, while the FF sneak off. Yep. So they, okay, so we end with them on the outs. They're on yeah, the, they're on the. I mean, this issue did not go well. They started without powers, and it ends with Doom being in the Baxter Building trying to kill them, and looking like he's going to pull it off. So we go back to issue forty. Doom is still controlling the Baxter Building, and the FF are trying to sneak back in and get control. And it's called the Battle of the Baxter Building. Yes, uh, this is also that was uh, this is the first issue inked by Vince Coletta. So Chickstone is now gone. Chickstone was gone two issues ago. I think there was a, uh, a fill-in inker last issue. And now it's Vince Coletta, who I think is serviceable and fine. A lot of people claim, and I believe them because they're smarter than me, that Vince Coletta would alter and erase a lot of Kirby's work when he inked and just change it to how he wanted. So he, like, removed a lot of the Kirbiness of these issues. Yeah. But these issues still look pretty good to me. So uh, he couldn't completely get rid of it. And he's only on for maybe four or five issues. He's on basically through the end of this podcast episode. And then next episode, next batch, we talk about Vince is no longer inking. I feel like I remember reading like a Mark Evaner column, Mark Evaner, who like wrote Grew and who worked with Kirby for many years, yeah. saying that Kirby didn't like Vince's inks, but he didn't want to complain because he knew that would make Vince lose work. And he didn't want to be responsible for another guy like not getting paid. That's cool. Um, I think Vince was fast also. I think he basically was not good, but he was fast. So if you were behind, you get Vince to do your issue, and it would be like okay and done on time. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think he also like erased a lot of backgrounds and stuff or just inked over them or whatever. Uh, I will still say like I like this guy better than George Bell. Like the art like at least still has the edge to it that I would want. It still looks heroic. Yeah. Okay, so the FF are trying to get back to the Baxter building. Daredevil is still helping. Doom is in control. Um, yeah, F and it's a lot of Daredevil action. I'll be honest to this story. Like, the first five or six pages is almost all Daredevil. Like, Daredevil is taking on Doom and holding his own with just his little billy cut love that seems to be able to do just about anything. Reed it finds— It turns into a gun. It turns into, like, a shield. 
He looks rad. He looks great in these issues. Yeah. Uh, and he's in this cool red costume, not his short-lived uh, gymnast costume. I think Steve Ditko designed this red costume. Is that true? I think that's true. I think Steve Ditko designed the red Daredevil costume, the red Iron Man costume, the red and yes, yellow Iron Man that's for sure. armor, and um, Spider-Man's costume, which is like three of the best costumes in the Marvel Universe. Well, I'm not going to look up whether or not he invented this red costume. I'm just going to assume it's true because that's better. Better story. Print the yeah. myth. Um, Reed finds the gun that like increases, you know, whatever, gives them their powers back, the same one he used in the Skrull planet. That's right. And he gives Sue and Johnny and himself powers back, but not yet Ben. Ben's Yeah, because Ben is human again. He doesn't want ben, – you know, Ben wants to be human to some extent. So this is sort of a, a, a good that he lost his powers. Right. But Doom is just basically still handling this. Doom can take down three members of Fantastic Four and Daredevil. So they need somebody. They need one more person. They're losing without the thing. So they have to turn Ben back into the thing so they can be saved. And I don't want to hype this up too much. This is an incredible ending to this story. Um, this is really good. So Ben gets zapped. He turns back into the thing. Uh, it, poor Ben. It seems so cruel, Sue says. Um, at some point, Ben uh, Reed says, for better or for worse, the thing must live again. And the thing is pissed. First of all, Doom is beating up his friends. Second of all, because of Doom, he has to be a monster again. And so the thing single-handedly just takes Decimates. down uh, uh, Doom. He just, like, punches Doom. And Doom's throwing everything at him. Doom is, like, puts, like, a device on his back that covers him in rocks uh, uh, or makes him heavy. And then he puts an, uh, zaps him with, like, this rock ray that covers him in rocks. Yeah. And the thing just, like, shrugs it off and pushes through it. And there's lasers. And the, the Doom is getting more and more scared as the thing won't fall. <laughs> and the thing gets up to him, grabs his gauntlets, crushes his hands. Yeah. And just rips him apart. Just shreds Doom's costume. He's and like, Doom whimpers off and runs off. They have to let him go because uh, uh, he's an ambassador or what? He has diplomatic immunity. <laughs> which doesn't make any sense. This guy invaded their headquarters and tried to kill them. And they have to like, well, you can leave now. But he crushes his hands. Uh, I love it. Uh, it's he like, maimed him. I mean, it's brutal. And he does it single-handedly. Like, yeah. the, the FF and Daredevil couldn't do it. And the thing was like, oh, screw this. I'm taking this guy down. Yeah. The thing on a rampage. Yeah. And it, and it, and it ends with the uh, thing quitting. Uh, it's a great issue. I mean, like the, the Ben Grimm has gone back and forth over the FF of whether he wants to be the thing or not. We've actually seen him say he likes being the thing before yes. this issue, but there are times when him being the thing is, is portrayed as a tragedy or whatever. It's sort of whatever the story needs. Yeah. But uh, the the gravitas of this tale is like, it's like really good. It's like, yeah. I feel sad for the thing when he turns back into the monster. Like you say, it's like really moving how angrily um, he attacks Doom and how hurt he is. And um, by the end of this issue, you're like, oh, the FF is turning into something really good. Yeah, this is a, a powerful ending. You can also see a little bit of Vince's weaker art here at the end. Like Sue's face is like a little too curvy. Yeah. A couple panels of the thing looks like he's been completely redrawn. So I can see the complaints against Vince, but but I don't know. This story still works, and that probably carries me through this weaker inking. The story is really love good. This last five or six pages, where it's just this is a heightening of the bit I loved, where after Diablo um, 
un- doesn't cure the thing. He like chases Diablo down and single handedly like captures him. This is like that times a thousand. They're starting to use emotions in these stories. It's not just like visual trickery. It's like the the emotions are playing into the story. It's it's like what Ditko's doing with Spider Man. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's go on to the next issue. Forty one. Yeah. Um, so the thing quits and now, um, doom is sort of gone. Doom's gone back to Latveria and, uh, now we're back to another frightful four story. Like frightful four still have not been captured. Right. So this is called the brutal betrayal of Ben Grimm. Ben is quitting. Now we feed members of the FF have quit before, but this one feels pretty deserved. He didn't ask to be turned back to the thing and they did it anyway. Yes. Um, so he runs off, but then he gets captured. Yeah. Um, First, he hitchhikes he, in the back of a pickup he truck. He like falls out of the asleep in a pickup truck and falls out of it or something, which is a little silly. Right. But then we see him being kidnapped, like in Westchester County or something like that. Right. We, we also see Alicia sort of sad that he is gone. This is where Sandman, by the way, in this story, starts having a cigar in his mouth at all times. Okay. Which I don't love. It's a stupid thing to care about. Who cares? Yeah. I don't like it. Kirby loves cigars, right? Like Thing has yeah. cigars, just like a lot of Kirby characters have cigars. Yes. Um, yeah, so we see that the Fantastic Four are worried about the Thing. Their lawyer is coming in and asking if they should maybe move out of New York City because it's so dangerous having them there. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the Thing is being kidnapped, and we see that it's by the Frightful Four. Yes. Um. You know, as they are giving their exposition, they're all demonstrating their powers. Sandman's all sandy. Medusa's hair is going crazy. Wizards yep. making the thing float. Pace Pop Pete is, I don't know, repairing model planes or something like that. <laughs> That's right. He's uh, affixing stamps to envelopes. Something only someone with paste powers could really do. Um, the FF are worried about Ben. And so, but then the Frightful Four, they basically brainwash Ben using some kind of wizard gizmo so that he becomes evil and on their side. Yeah. They put like a weird helmet on the thing. And, uh, this is all happening while Sam and Medusa are playing, uh, poker and drinking tea. Um, I guess two person poker. I don't even know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the thing gets, uh, brainwashed into being a member of the frightful four and to test it, uh, the wizard has the thing attack the frightful four and you know, he wins easily cause he's the thing. Yeah. So then they stick him on the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Uh, well, the Fantastic Four are tracking the thing. Um, they're trying okay. to find him because they're worried about him. And when they show right. up, the Frightful Four are waiting. And now they also have the thing on their side. So it's a uh, uh, it's rough. Like they can't they can't they could barely beat the Frightful Four without the thing with the thing, thing switching sides. It's all done. And so the thing beats the rest of the Fantastic Four and the Frightful Four capture Reed, Sue and Johnny. Yep. Uh, but is Ben unconscious here or something? Um, they put him to sleep. Oh, the wizard uh, uses the wizard has like hypnotic control of the th- he's controls the thing, so he just made the thing go to sleep at some point. Okay. Um, and then I think they're sort of saying, uh, let's well now we don't need the thing anymore, which again is just crazy. You've got the thing on your team, keep him forever. Yeah. So the Sandman tries to kill the thing and hits him as hard as he can and doesn't even dent him. Uh, then wizard wakes thing up and thing is still really mad at the FF or slash brainwashed against them. And he vows to destroy them. Uh, yeah. Uh, and in um, particular Reed Richards. That's right. It so ends it with him it, approaching Reed as if he's going to d- beat the crap out of him. Maybe. Yeah. Kill so him. just again, like the FF don't even come close to winning this issue. 
Uh, and it ends with Reed or uh, Ben about to attack Reed. And that's, that's how right. issue 42 starts, Thing versus Reed. Yeah, and the name of this issue is To Save You, Why Must I Kill You? I love it. Uh, Johnny's tied up. Everyone's um, tied up. Uh, Reed is pasted somewhere. Oh, that's right. And Johnny's in some kind of metal harness and Sue is in some sort of plastic bubble wrap. Yeah. Seems like Johnny should be in the bubble wrap and Sue should be in the harness, but whatever. Um, right? Yeah, <laughs> he's in a device that kind of like showers water on him if he starts to turn on. He, <laughs> he just turns his flames on faster than it can soak him, and it works. It's not a good trap. Um, okay, so Ben is trying to beat up Reed. Sue and uh, Johnny are dealing with the Frightful Four. They escape from their traps, and they're dealing with, tra- you know, they're sort of involved with the Frightful Four. But Reed is pasted to a table while Ben just beats the crap out of him. But Ben, by attacking Reed, frees him from his paste. Yeah, and now it's Reed versus the th- thing, and uh, it's a pretty good fight. It's a pretty good the fight. Thinking is mediocre, but there's a point where like the thing rips a wall off with like all the shelves and sconces and stuff, and yeah. smashes it against Reed, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, but then thing puts him in a bottle. <laughs> uh, where's the, the thing, bottle? The thing oh yeah, on page eight, yeah. squishes Reed up and puts him into like a vase or something, <laughs> and puts a cork on it. <laughs> That's embarrassing. That's an embarrassing way to lose for Reed. That's humiliating. You've been shoved into like basically a, a water bottle. Um, and then Medusa soaks her hair so that with her wet hair she can take down the torch. Which is dumb. Yes. Um, but uh, but guess- the invisible woman escapes, uh, or invisible girl escapes. She turns invisible, grabs the face that's bouncing around with Reed and, and runs off. So now they've got Johnny and the thing. Uh, and they brainwash um, Johnny. They, they brainwash Johnny. So now, they so now they've got two the members thing. of the FF. That's right. Uh, I should also say at this point, uh, uh, it's interesting that this happens, this issue. Last month, uh, uh, or no, two months ago, issue 40 was the last issue of Strange Tales to feature Torch in the thing. Now mm-hmm. it's Nick Fury. So Torch no longer has a solo book at this point. Okay. But now he's with his solo partner of the thing as villains. Um, with the wizard, who was a frequent villain in the Strange Tales stories. Yes. That's where he originated. Um Reed gets a handle on some of the anti-gravity discs and sort of fights back and steals the thing, but not the torch. So the FF run off with the thing, but the Frightful Force still have the human torch who chases them. And Ben is still against Reed. He's just immobilized by a flying disc. He's unconscious and and floating. Or maybe so, he's conscious, but he's, yeah, he's floating around. He has no power because he's uh, weightless. Okay, so evil thing... Is in the hands of the Fantastic Four. That's right. Evil Torch, or so we think, is oh, don't oops, tell. Uh, is um is uh, conscious and with the Frightful Four. Yeah, and he chases off the Fantastic Four at the end of this issue. Uh, it is you know, good guys turning evil is scary. Like thinking about a fire elemental being against you is like pretty terrifying. It's also like now it's six against two. Right. Um. These, and there's these, no these, sign of anything else happening, right? This in this issue, there's, there's no, no hope. There's no hint of anything. No, other they, than like we expect the good guys to somehow find a way to win. They're losing way more than they're winning these last couple issues. Uh, yeah, they they win like every four issues. Uh, it's great. I mean, honestly, this feels so cool. Now we've got two issues in a row where the frightful four just have them on the run. I mean, mostly because they took over the thing. Their real trick was getting the thing on their team. Adding the torch, though, he's probably the next most powerful offensive member. Yeah, it's just it's a really fun. It's a three issue storyline. It seems that seems so long, but a lot happens in those three issues. 
Uh, anyway, we're in the third part of those issues. So 43, yeah. lo, there shall be an ending. Yes. Things start off in bad shape. The Frightful Four with the Human Torch are chasing Reed and Sue who have the thing, um, but who is still evil. Yes. And the Torch is uh, hanging out with the Frightful Four. Uh, and they're sort of mad at the Torch. They think the Torch kind of got in their way. Like he, he they think the Torch kind of showboating, let the FF escape. Uh, yeah, they're accusing him of um, messing up and he sort of takes umbrage at that. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, uh, back at the Baxter building, Thing is still trying to fight Reed. Yeah, and, and Reed's trying to cure the Thing. Um, and he's got an idea, but it might kill the Thing if it doesn't work. Uh, back in the Frightful Four, they're sort of arguing with the Torch. He's not being totally cooperative. Yeah. Or they're, they're doubting whether he's really on their side. Yep. And they sort of figured out. They realized that the Torch is just pretending to be evil. And once they realize that Medusa uses her hair to grab one of Paste Pot Pete's trapster guns and zaps them with glue. Uh, so then we have a little mini fight of Torch versus the Frightful Four. And they, yeah, and and they, they knock him out. They dig him down. It's four against one. And there's no way the Torch wins that fight. Uh, meanwhile, in the Baxter building, Reed's got Ben in some kind of contraption. This might kill him or it might save him. Um, he activates it. It explodes. We don't know yes. how Ben is. Yeah, he puts Ben to bed. They don't know whether Ben is alive, evil, or good. And then we cut away to the thing briefly, who is staring at his crushed hands. Uh, Doom. Sorry, yes. Sorry. Yeah. We, we cut away to Doom, who's sitting with like his hands outside the gauntlets, and he's just staring at them. They're like, yeah, your hands haven't healed all the way. And Doom is P.O.'d. <laughs> uh, That's an back. interesting cutaway, because it's not at all relevant to this story, or last story, or the story before. It's like, this is just... Hey, just in case you're curious where Doom is, it's at this point, I think, that the Fantastic Four really started getting into this thing of, like, Doom is just a character in this book, and the Frightful Four are just characters in this book, and we'll check in on them, even if they're not relevant to the story. Also, just stories are not so self-contained. They, as a reader, you need to have memory of, like, the previous five to kind of, like, really know what's going on, and it gives an epic feel to everything. Yeah, if you read this issue, it references, like, what happened a few issues ago, which would make you want to find that back issue. Um, okay, the Frightful Four, now without the torch, invade the Baxter building. Yes. Um, we still don't know the status of the thing. But, but the, they've got the torch captured as sort of a, a way to keep the, uh, yeah, as a hostage to keep the FF in check. They've got them, like, tied to a giant anti-gravity disc floating around the building. Um, and so the wizard is flaunting torch on a disc in front of the FF saying, look, I got your, I got your guy here. You got to do what I say. But then out of nowhere, the thing wakes up and attacks the wizard. Yep. He wakes up. He is, he's a good guy again. Uh, him attacking the wizard makes the disc that was holding the torch lose power. So now the torch is also free. So now it's all the fantastic four ganging up on the frightful four and they make quick work of him. Yeah, Sue's already kind of uh, knocked out Medusa um, with uh, her force field uh, balls that she throws at people. So Medusa makes an escape. She, like, climbs out the window and climbs away with her hair. But the men members of the Frightful Four are all captured. Um, and so we end with a quick victory. Now the FF are back. They all have their powers, and the Frightful Four are defeated. And that's the end of this kind of epic run. Uh, I do want to say that when they realize Medusa has escaped, they talk about going to look for her. Uh, and like the torch did, could have chased her and didn't. Uh, and Reed basically goes, 
I think I understand. She's an extremely attractive female. So it's implied that the torch let them do so get away because he was pretty. <laughs> and Reed's kind of okay with that. Yeah, they're sort of like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but Ben is back. He's on the team. He's sort of given a, uh, he's sort of bedridden. Uh, in fact, I don't think the thing ever fully had his strength. He just had enough strength to like reach up and grab the wizard and crush the plate. He couldn't get out of bed, but it was enough to turn the tide. Yeah. So like they're all back together. And uh, the team is reunited. And this is sort of an ending. Like, there's not really any loose ends other than Doom swearing revenge. Yeah, th- things are kind of tied up. Yes. Um, And it's like, when you finish this, you're like, oh, this book has become something better than it was. The battles are better. The emotions are lending, lending themselves to the story. Villains that previously seemed silly don't seem so silly anymore. Um it's asking us to have a longer memory of what's happened before. And they're using that to make things pay off. The fantastic four is becoming awesome. Yeah. This is a thing that happened. I was, I, I, I watched these shows, Buffy, the vampire slayer and angel. Yeah. And, uh, when angel started, it was a spinoff of Buffy about a vampire with a soul. Okay. And, uh, in that show, they were trying to do more case of the week episodes so that people could just tune in any week and enjoy it versus Buffy, which kind of had a longer mythology. But, you know, the writing of the show was geared towards serial storytelling. So somewhere like in season three, all of a sudden this storyline just got longer and longer and longer. I remember watching it and all of a sudden realizing, oh, man, like the last six or seven episodes have been like a day and a half of real time. Yeah. And it was so cool to sort of realize that as I'm watching. It's just like, oh, this is why I'm getting so into it. I can't wait to see how this wraps up and it just gets bigger and bigger. And the same sort of thing is happening here where... It's like this was just the Frightful Four attacking or Doom like this was really just the thing walking off after beating Doom. And it turned into this three issue battle with the Frightful Four that held up for 66 pages. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We got one more story we need to cover, Will. The annual, annual number three. Yeah, this is a big one. Um, This is kind of a famous annual. This is where Reed and Sue get married. Yeah, uh, that's that's what I mean by a big one. It's a huge deal. Like, I mean. It sort of set the standard that I think for a while weddings happened in annuals. Um, this is uh, also it's an excuse to have guest stars of basically almost every single character from the Fantastic Four mythology and the Marvel Universe. Yeah, every hero, every villain, even Patsy Walker shows up in a cameo. Um, Red Ghost is here. Everyone is here. Uh, every hero has been invited as a guest and every villain wants to screw it up. Because right. Reed and Sue are celebrities. So this is like a society event. It's the front page of the newspaper. Yes. Um, Matt Murdock, their lawyer, is there. The Avengers are here and everyone is attacking. It's just a it's a just wall-to-wall battle with like every character. I don't know if it's a good story. It's probably not. Uh it's just like a fun story. It's it's good in the sense of like, oh, it's just cool to see all these characters in the same story, which probably isn't Never happened on this scale. This is the uh, Infinity War of its day. Um, yeah, and it's just like fun, big crossover event. It's it's cool. It becomes like a template for a lot of annuals and like special events. Just like cram a lot of heroes into the story. Yeah, and it's this big battle and just like the city's getting destroyed and everything is going wrong until the Watcher shows up with a new weird design that makes him look like a giant baby more than ever. Yeah. Um. And, you know, the Watcher is not allowed to interfere, so he interferes. Totally interferes. gives Reed a device. To let him. Or like, offers Reed to pick a device, I guess is what really happened, right? 
Yes. He, he'll bring Reed to the devices and tell him one of these will help you, but I won't tell you which one. And so Reed has to figure it out. Yeah. And the device Reed steals kind of like undoes everything that happened. It's a subatomic, a subatronic time <laughs> displacer. Yes. Okay. There we go. Capable of transporting living beings back to the immediate past. So they'll go to where they were before they attacked with no memory of what has happened since. And then I guess for some reason not attack this time. Yeah, then for some reason they also lose the urge to do what they were going to do at that moment. Yeah. Uh, does Reed forget it or does everyone else forget? Everybody forgets it. Uh, the one responsible was memory. I think everyone forgets it except for maybe the FF. It's not clear. Yeah. Maybe even the FF forget it. With no memory of what has happened. I think everyone gets, tr- I think maybe just the villains forget. I don't know. I think everyone does. Cause it's not like the people in the city remember. Yeah. So everybody forgets. And so then they just have a wedding with no problems on the last page. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, we, and we have a little cameo by Stan and Jack who don't get let into the wedding. <laughs> yep. They, ha- they are wearing top hats. Yes. And overcoats and they're trying to get in, but uh, they're not on the list. Yeah. And this is, uh, was in the Fantastic Four and the Silver Surfer movie, Stanley is not allowed into the wedding. Oh, really? Yeah, they recreate that moment. Weird. I didn't. I never saw that movie. Um, well, you missed a bad one. <laughs> you missed a real bad movie. Um, that's the annual. Whenever I read this annual, I think about the Kurt Busiek series Marvels. Yeah, me too. It's the first thing I always think about. Um, which is like what came out in the 90s where... Kurt Busiek wrote like the history of the Marvel universe, but as seen by normal people. Yes. And um, when they get to the Reed and Sue wedding, it's like a one panel thing, which is like, oh, Reed and Sue got married. Nothing happened and everything went totally smoothly. Yeah. It's like, oh, I was amazed. Nothing bad happened. It's I'm glad. Because from uh, the which point if of you view don't know normal, the real story, if you don't know the real story, you're just like, OK, they got married at this point in Marvel history. You don't realize that everything went bad and got sort of undone. Uh, um, that is a really cool moment in Marvels, and I do I think about that all the time. Um, I, I like it; it's fun. Um, yeah, this is a fun annual. It's not quite as uh, momentous. It's first of all, it's only one story, and then it's filled with reprints afterwards. Right. It's not quite as uh, cool as like the Namor attacks New York story from the first annual, um, or the Doom origin of the second. Right, but it, it this is more like a big tentpole life status quo moment and it's like a fun uh adventure with kind of all these characters showing up yeah it's fun it's very very fun it's also the last vince coletta issue so uh next time we'll have joe sinnott and also next time we begin the inhumans era and uh, as good as these stories are it takes a huge step forward again the next batch of stories we're going to do are among my favorite superhero stories of all time and I think they're kind of universally regarded as one of the high points of Marvel Comics. I would say a lot of people who have been reading along, not everybody is reading along. Uh, the pace we set is insane by doing these big batches, but some people are reading along. Yeah. And I've gotten some emails where people say they haven't been enjoying them that much. They're like, oh, yeah. they're stupid and silly. Yeah, totally understandable. Uh, like, I'm reading them, but I'm not loving them. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. And it's at this point... Where it's, I'm curious what people think of this batch. So if you did read this batch, I'm curious what you thought of it before listening to us. So please email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. 
And for sure, I want to know if you keep reading beyond this, whether you enjoy this stuff, because I think this stuff really works. But I am so in the weeds for these comics and just so brainwashed to love yeah. them. I don't yeah. know. I have such good associations with the next batch and this batch that I, I might be biased. So I don't care whether you liked stuff prior to this batch, prior to the Frightful 4 story. But I'm curious what people think of this Frightful 4 story arc. I'm really curious about what people think of the Galactus story arc. And I'm talking about people who are reading it for the first time now. Yeah. How much? If you read it, it as a kid, I bet you loved it. But if you're reading it now with modern comics sort of in your brain and movies in your brain, how do these read to you? I mean, they for sure read dated, but I think they still read cool. Let us know what you think. Screw it, yeah, Spidey that's, at that's Gmail. What, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, email us, screw it, Spidey. That's our old email address we're still using, screw it, Spidey at Gmail. And our Instagram is screw it comics. And our Twitter account is screw it comics. That's right. Um, yeah, so let us know what you think. And um, and next issue, and next episode, we're going to go over these issues again and talk about other stuff that we didn't get to. Yeah, so next week we're going to re – we're going to talk about these issues even more. We skimmed through a lot of stuff, so hopefully – We'll cover some details that we didn't get a chance to talk about. Um, and then in two weeks, we're going to talk about the Inhumans and Galactus stories. Um, Kevin, good job. Uh, Will, you won't remember doing this podcast because Watcher <laughs> gave me a device, but uh, you did a good job. Huh, well, as long as the podcast has done well, I don't need to remember it. All right. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics short stories is life getting in the way of you enjoying short stories well campfire media's podcast stories but shorter has got you covered each week a published author comes on to read one of their fantastic short stories and then they talk about it with the host me cassie jerkins and my producer jeremy schmidt enjoy a short story on your way to work discover great writers and feel a little more cultured download and subscribe to stories but shorter on campfire media or wherever you get your podcasts Campfire.